African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. Well, thank you for joining us right here on uh, African Dialogue. And uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the African Union Summit that just concluded on Monday. We'll be looking back at some of the themes that came out of that summit that was taking place in Kigali, Rwanda. But before we get into that, let's get our news from Joalane Tulu. Thank you, Benjamin. Top stories, the Sawa Botswana's president, Ian Kama, declares the entire country as disaster as a drought disaster area. Libya's unity government condemns the presence of French military forces in the country. And finally, Labour court proceedings regarding the dismissal of four journalists of South Africa's public broadcaster postponed until Friday. Good morning. Botswana's President Ian Khama has declared the entire country as drought disaster area. Drought support will be given until June next year. Khama says several drastic measures have been put in place to assist the people in need in the drought-stricken country. Here in Botswana, and I understand that, yes, indeed, Namibians are also in some crisis. We have had abnormally low rainfall, not only last year, which has been declared once more drought, but indeed in the two years before. So in this context, we're doing a number of interventions like feeding programs and the likes to try to help our rural economy stay afloat and help the people out there survive so that we don't have malnutrition and the likes. Libya's unity government has condemned the presence of French military forces in the country following the revelation that such forces were operating on the ground in Libya. The revelation came on Wednesday when the French Defense Ministry confirmed the death of three of its soldiers who it said were on a mission in Libya. The French soldiers were killed in a helicopter crash in Magroon, south of the Libyan coastal city of Benghazi. Libya's government of national accord slammed the presence of French troops in Libya as a violation of the country's sovereignty. The Libyan, the, rather, the Malawian government has declared a state of emergency a day after an attack in the center of the country left 17 soldiers dead and 35 wounded. The state of emergency, which begins on Thursday, will last for 10 days following the attack at an army base in Nampala. Two groups, one jihadist and the other ethnic, have both claimed to have carried out the raid on the military camp. Labour court proceedings regarding the dismissal of four journalists of South Africa's public broadcaster, the SABC, have been postponed until Friday. SABC lawyers requested that the hearing be postponed to file applications. Four of the eight SABC journalists who've been dismissed from the public broadcaster approached the Labour court in Johannesburg to ask for their dismissals to be set aside. They are being represented by Trade Union Solidarity. Judge Robert Lagrange granted permission for the postponement. Your clients have got to realize that the business of the court comes first. So, frankly, in the light of all the litigation, I find it difficult to understand that your clients would not make themselves available to give you instructions in these circumstances. There really can be no business which is more important 
than dealing with these applications. Effectively, what we're going to do, we're going to postpone this hearing till tomorrow at 12.30, and I'm going to make certain orders as to the filing of further papers. And finally, Angolan refugees in South Africa are alleging that the Department of Home Affairs is forcing them to go back to their country despite some of them being married to South Africans or facing persecution. They say in 2013 an agreement was reached between authorities from South Africa, Angola and the United Nations Commission for Refugees. However, the leader of the Angolan refugees in South Africa, Manuel Jose, says Home Affairs is rejecting their applications without clear reasons. Recapping the top stories, Botswana's President Ian Khama declares the entire country as drought disaster area, Libya's unity government condemns the presence of French military forces in the country. And finally, Labour court proceedings regarding the dismissal of four journalists of South Africa's public broadcaster postponed until Friday. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, we're broadcasting from our Auckland Park studios in Johannesburg, right here at the SABC headquarters. Remember that uh, you are listening to us on shortwave on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's our service into the continent. And we're also on DSTV on Channel 802. Uh, That's Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. That's DSTV. You can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za Well, today we're going to be looking back at the African Union Summit. We can't go on into a new week without looking at the events that took place uh, this uh, past week. And the 27th African Union Summit wrapped on Monday in Kigali, Rwanda and still had not elected the new chairperson for the Union's Commission. So the current chair, Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma, was asked to stay on until January next year. None of the three candidates contesting the position received the necessary two-thirds majority vote required. Dominating the talks was said to be the political crisis in South Sudan. Also, we know that there's been a big conversation around the African e-passport for heads of state and other government officials, and also the self-sufficiency of the African Union to actually support itself. Now, to look back at the summit, we're joined on the line by advocate Panzi Klakula, also the chairperson 
and a special rapporteur on freedom of expression and access to information in Africa at the African Commission on Human Rights and People's Rights. We also have Professor Tim Moriti, who is the head of Justice and Reconciliation in Africa, an extraordinary professor of African Studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. Joining us on the line, we also have Professor Shadrick Guto, the editor at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies, which is based at UNISA, if I'm not mistaken. But I want to start with you, Advocate Panzitlakula. Thank you for giving us your time. I know that you were there as well at uh, uh, Kigali. You also had a big uh, statement that you made made there uh, looking at the high-level debate on the African Union human rights with particular focus on the rights of women. Tell us a little bit about your summarization of uh, the uh, summit and what you took out of the summit this past uh, weekend. Um, thank you very much for having me. The summit uh, went well because, as you might be aware, the AU has declared 2016 as the year for human rights, with particular reference uh, to the rights of women. So as the uh, premier body for the promotion and protection of human rights on the continent, we were given the opportunity to address the summit on the situation of human rights on the continent. And we think that uh, there is progress. But uh, I think there is also some uh, retrogression in some areas. Mm. The issue of South Sudan, the conflict in South Sudan, which we have just mentioned, it's something that uh, we are concerned about. Uh, Terrorism and violent extremism on the continent, it's something that has a negative impact on the enjoyment of human rights on our continent. Mm. And in terms of that particular theme on itself, focusing on the issue of uh, the focus of the rights of women and human rights, tell us a little bit about why that was a relevant uh, issue for this year, especially for this summit. I think uh, women's rights should be a topic for the whole year and uh, for all the years, because uh, as you know that uh, we are not doing too well as countries on issues of of women's rights. Uh, if you look at conflict, for instance, uh, who are the people who bear the brand of conflict? It's women. We see on our television screens, in the news, wherever there is conflict, you see women uh, with their belongings on their heads and with children in their hands running away from conflict. So conflict affects women terribly. Issues of, uh, there are also traditional practices you know, that continue uh, to exist on, our, uh, on, uh, on the countries on the continent. Uh, female genital mutilation still, is still practiced mm. in many parts of our continent. And I think child marriage is particularly worrying that uh, its prevalence is spreading, actually. But having said that, we should not paint a gloom picture. Mm because uh, there are areas where we are doing well as, as women uh, in the area of political participation of women. For mm-hmm. instance, Rwanda, as you know, leads the world in terms of the uh, number of women in their parliament um, and also in terms of just women occupying high positions on the continent. I mean, the AUC is led by a woman. Uh, unfortunately, among the organs of the AU, mm-hmm. 
uh, I was sitting, we were sitting at uh, the same table, and unfortunately I'm the only woman leading an organ of the AU. And mm. I think I have to mention that uh, state parties have done very well because my commission, the African Commission on Women and People's Rights, for the past 10 years has been led by a woman, and there are seven women in that commission mm. and four men. Mm. So we have to acknowledge progress where, where there's been Well, let me bring in Professor Tim Muriti, who's the head of the Justice and Reconciliation in Africa and also extraordinary professor of African studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. Professor Muriti, thank you for giving us your time. In in terms of the theme of the summit, do you think that this was one that was uh, relevant, human rights with particular focus on the rights of women, or were we supposed maybe to have something more of an issue which is conflicts and issues of terrorism that we've been facing in the uh, past few months and few years? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's the tradition, and, and thank you for inviting me to this uh, program, and uh, good morning to your listeners. It's the tradition of the African Union to always have a theme mm. that they engage with at each of their summits. They have two a year, uh, one at the beginning of the year, one in the middle of the year. So this year's focus uh, was on this issue uh, of, 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 of women's rights um, and human rights. Um, but it obviously did not prevent the uh, decision-making bodies of the AU mm. um, uh, to, from discussing a whole range of other issues. In fact, um, this was also an elective conference, uh, if you will recall, where they were supposed to uh, elect um, a new chairperson of the African Union Commission and the 10 commissioners um, but they, in fact, came out with quite uh, significant um, additional decisions, including a new funding model for the African Union and, and further discussions uh, on the uh, potential rollout of an African passport, where African e-passports were issued to heads of state of government and, perma- and, and, and ambassadors and ministers uh, at, at this summit in Kigali. Uh, so the AU, as I said, tends to do this. It, it frames a certain issue. It has a thematic focus, but discusses a whole range of other issues. And mm-hmm. this is always evident in the number of decisions that come out uh, uh, after the summit. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and I want us to look at that issue of that contestation of uh, that uh, uh, chairmanship of the African Union uh, Commission, because that's where things seem to be at a halt. And uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll start that conversation with uh, you, Professor Shedrick Guto, who's the editor at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies at UNI. It's 11.15 Central African time. Give us your thoughts as well. Remember, you can interact with us on at Channel Africa One. That's our uh, Twitter handle, at Channel Africa One. And what we're asking today, do you think that uh, uh, the African Union deals with the relevant issues that are linked to the African people? Give us your thoughts there on Twitter so we can hear what you think about on this matter. 11.16 Central African time. Let's take a quick break. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us uh, right here. Remember, we're also on uh, DSTV on Channel 802 there. Thank you for listening to us there. You can also stream us on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. We come to you every day from Monday to Thursday, and uh, we look at the big issues of the continent and bring in some of the biggest experts on the continent to speak about these matters. If you're just joining us, we've got Advocate Panzi Tlakula, who's the chairperson and special rapporteur of Freedom of Expression and Access to Information in Africa at the African Commission on Human Rights and People's Rights. We also have Professor Tim Muruti, who is the head of Justice and Reconciliation in Africa, which is part of the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation, and the extraordinary professor of African Studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. And also now, I want to move on to Professor Shadrach Guto, who's the editor at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies at UNISA. Uh, as highlighted there, Professor Guto by uh, Professor Tim Muruti, was the issue of none of the three candidates contesting the position uh, received the necessary two-thirds majority vote, and that's the position of uh, the African Union Commission's chairmanship. So the elections have been postponed until January and most likely will include new candidates. What does this mean for the AU? Well, um, let me greet your listeners and uh, the co-panelists. I think that um, it is important to be able to put it in context and indicate that elections of um, chairpersons of the AU Commission is always highly contested. If you remember four years ago when... um, Dr. Lamine Zuma was elected. They went through many rounds of elections and maneuvering and so on. And some people even suggested South Africa was trying to buy some other country to support the candidacy. Be uh, that as it may, uh, I think that the fact that um, other regions, uh, two regions who are not able to um, nominate members is something that needs to be uh, looked at and it is likely that come January um, the ECOWAS region and the Central Africa region uh, rather ECOWAS and the Northern Africa region will put in names of uh, uh, four people nominated so we'll have a pool of five rather than three, but that does not mean it may even complicate the voting system to see whether two-thirds majority will be uh, achievable. Mm. But between now and then, of course, there's going to be intensive diplomatic negotiations between countries and regions, really to ensure that come January, that process will be uh, finalized. And uh, indeed... Uh, I think that um, uh, uh, it is something that Mm. is not new within the AU, Mm. and um, that is the context in which it should be put.
Mm. Well, let's come back to you, Professor Timuruti. Your thoughts there on uh, the position that we find ourselves in. We know that ECHO was subjected to the three candidates that stood for uh, the current Nkosazana, uh, Lamini, Zuma's post currently. Uh, are we, do we know what the real gripe was? And with, is this, does this show signs of kind of division within the African Union? Um, well, if you recall, there was, in fact, no uh, candidate from the ECOWAS mm. region. There were three candidates, mm. uh, Uganda, Equatorial Guinea, and Botswana. And so ECOWAS, perhaps on that basis, felt that it didn't uh, give, uh, the, you know, have an, an opportunity to, uh, to contest on a fair basis. But one could argue they did have the time and they knew that they should have uh, there was a deadline for submitting a candidate. And I think the, the, the time between when Zamini uh, Zuma uh, confirmed that she was not uh, standing and the deadline for the submissions was quite short, um, just due to the circumstances of the situation. And it probably is the case that ECOWAS couldn't get its act together in time. But we did have candidates from Southern Africa, as I mentioned, East Africa and the, 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 the Central uh, region. Um, you know, so I think on that basis, then ECOWAS uh, uh, did, in fact, conduct a very effective uh, spoiler, um, if you will, uh, mm. uh, intervention. And in fact, it was without ECOWAS, you actually would not be able to to carry uh, the, the the votes. You need two thirds, uh, and ECOWAS alone is for 16 countries, and they managed to obviously um, uh, extend their coalition to uh, almost 20, 23 countries. I think were the ones that ultimately preventing uh, this vote from going forward. Um, so I think it's an important lesson for, for all of us. It's an important lesson for the AU. It's an important lesson for the, the regional economic communities, ECOWAS, SADAC, uh, so on. Mm. Um, uh, but I don't think it's something that we should be too worried about. It's, as Professor Guto mentioned, it's happened before mm. uh, uh, with Lamini Zuma. And even if you go back in time, historically, to the OAU, mm. there were incidents in which the were able to appoint at that time the Secretary General of the Organization of African uh, Unity. Um, so it, it's one of those things that does happen. I think, personally, I think it's a good thing because it now gives uh, six months to really get some more solid candidates uh, onto the bill and make sure that everybody who, who should be included is included uh, and also gives an opportunity uh, for the, the, the commissioners who are coming in uh, who work very closely with the chairperson also, mm. uh, in, in, so to speak, have a second run at, at the elections. Mm. Advocate Lakula, I know there's also just not an issue of uh, the um, the chairmanship that was actually held on hold, but also the entire 10-member commissions whose elections have also been postponed until January. Does this postponement pose any uh, kind of problems for the functioning of the African Union? No, 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 no. I don't think so because the 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 current chair will continue and the commissioners will also continue okay. until uh, the elections take place in January. But what I would like to add is that uh, while we um, do the horse trading and the um, uh, diplomatic uh, negotiations on these positions, for me, I think central to all this is to ensure that we get. A, a, a candidate who is qualified and who is efficient, who will take uh, the AU forward, because uh, the AU operates uh, in the 21st century, and uh, it needs um, 
uh, restructuring uh, processes that are taking place to continue. So we need to find a candidate which, who will ensure that uh, he or she takes forward mm. uh, the, the programs uh, that uh, Dr. Zuma has already started. And for me, selfishly, I think that uh, she's done very well in promoting the rights of women and putting women, you know, in the agendas of the AUC. And I'm hoping that a candidate who will come will be a woman or a man who is uh, sensitive to women's uh, empowerment. Mm. But I also have to add just one thing, if you allow me, that so because it was not only the election of uh, the chairperson, there were also elections for the judges of the African Court on Human and People's Rights. And we have to mention this because uh, the elections for um, South, for the Southern um, region and the northern region were postponed to january of course the decision to postpone i don't know whether it is legal but it is a decision that was taken uh, nonetheless and it was on two grounds one uh, because the um southern those two regions had not uh, submitted female candidates Mm. at all so Mm. it was decided that in january Mm. the candidates that have uh, must be submitted by the southern region and by the northern region have to be women. I thought I should say this mm. now that we are in the south and people who are listening to this to mm. start preparing to get female candidates <laughs> for those two regions. Well, it's very interesting to see also just the patriarchy that's also within that framework, just uh, listening to that particular point. But before I let you go, Professor Shedrick Guto, I know that we have to let you go, but uh, the, the big issue also that m- dominated the African Union Summit was renewed funds fighting in South Sudan. We know that a whole lot of lives have been kind of uh, claimed in that conflict there. So that has been part of the discussions at the African Union Summit. How important was this issue? And do you think that we've dealt with this issue enough and we've actually come up with a good solution here? Well, I think that the situation in Southern Sudan is one that requires all of us really to try and suggest solutions. Uh, For me, it is painful uh, because between um, 2004 and uh, and until 2010, I was uh, in charge of capacity building training for uh, the Southern Sudanese, Mm -hmm. which Actually, even the president, current president, did participate in. We trained over uh, a thousand people who are in senior positions, ministers, ambassadors, um, and people in various structures within that country. So it's painful. I know the people involved, at least at the level of leadership. This division, uh, I think, ought to be approached, in my view, from two points. One is the, uh, at the level of diplomacy through the AU, um, and I think the UN should also come in um, in negotiations and, and trying to find a solution. But importantly also, there ought to be a bottom-up approach that helps communities to begin to engage with each other, to talk to each other, um, to really see that South Sudan is not a country just for the leaders, but it's most importantly a country 
for the people of southern Sudan and they need to talk with themselves, be able to build bonds because this is a nation in building. Mm. So uh, it is one which uh, I really feel um, painful about and uh, one which um, I will do everything I can Mm. to find a way in which we can um, support Mm. the diplomatic approaches, and we use other uh, ways of getting to the heart of those who are leading Mm. the conflict within that country, but also really to have a meaningful system of conciliation, uh, of reparation for victims of uh, uh, the wars and so on, and uh, indeed justice. Mm. Well, uh, it's it's interesting to hear that ex- expression that comes from you, Professor Shedrick Guto, as if you are actually owning this kind of reconciliation process, this transformation of this new state in, in, in South Sudan. The way forward for you, just before we let you go, what do you think is the way forward to actually... Uh, hasten or fasten this process of getting things on track in the country. It's taking a while now, and it's sad to see the ongoing strife in the country, especially between the two leaders. I think it is one of uh, trying to talk with the two leaders, and I hope that we don't just use the uh, formal AU uh, processes, but one where some of us who are closely associated with these leaders can also approach them and try to talk with them informally. Secondly, I believe that it is one where uh, we need them to be able to, uh, from there on, begin to approach communities on the ground, leaders on the ground, chiefs, women's uh, organizations, NGOs, uh, youth organizations uh, across uh, ethnic lines so that if they agree uh, to facilitate how they can talk to each other and say enough is enough, let us build this new society. Um, mm. So that, that, that to me is what I would propose. Mm. Well, we have to let you go, Professor Shedrick Guto. He's the editor at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies at Genisa. Thank you for giving us your time. We'll continue this theme of South Sudan with Professor Tim Muruti, who is the head of Justice and Reconciliation in Africa, which is a department within the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. And also he's the extraordinary professor of African studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. Thank you as well to Advocate Pansy Tlakula. She'll stay with us and... uh, She's the chairperson and special rapporteur of freedom of expression and access of information in Africa at the African Commission on Human Rights and People's Rights. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. Nelson Mandela has been a lawyer and a freedom fighter, a political prisoner, peacemaker, and president, a healer of nations, and a mentor to generations of leaders and people from all walks of life throughout the world. Nelson Mandela gave 67 years of his life to bring change to the people of South Africa. Our gift to him can and must be to change our world for the better. I joined the Nelson Mandela Foundation in urging each and every one of us to perform 67 minutes of public service 
on Nelson Mandela International Day. Take action. Inspire change. Make every day a Mandela Day. In 2009, the United Nations declared the 18th of July as Nelson Mandela Day. This is in recognition of the former South African state president's contribution to the culture and peace and freedom for all. Channel Africa, celebrating Mandela Month. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, on our Twitter handle, we've been asking the question, uh, do you think that the African Union deals with the relevant issues of the African people? And uh, some uh, comments have been coming through. Mavo Mani says on uh, Twitter, my answer is no. For example, there's no human rights in Zimbabwe because if you don't agree with ZANU-PF, you treat it unfairly. Yeah, that is a good point there. Was that issue of uh, Zimbabwe? It's almost kind of sidelined when we come to African Union summits. We never really hear people talking about it. Another tweet uh, tweet comes from Morwe Queen, who says, Channel Africa, they don't. And the sad part is we choose lives of innocent people and more protest starts. Our union needs to start to listen through strikes. And we also have praise Stierman saying a big no. So we want to hear from you. Go to our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. We're asking that question. Do you think that the African Union deals with the relevant issues to, uh, that are concerning the African people? That's our handle at Channel Africa One. It's the numeric one at the end there. Now we have Professor Tim Moruti, who's the head of Justice and Reconciliation in Africa from IJR, and he's the, also the extraordinary professor of African Studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. Let me start this part of the conversation session with you. Let's move on with that particular theme of uh, South Sudan. We know that there's been an agreement of approving a regional force there, uh, backing a deployment of regional troops in South Sudan after the recent fighting between rivals left hundreds of people dead there. Your thoughts there on uh, uh, South Sudan. We also know that we've heard of a resistance from some parts of South Sudan of the uh, UN troops being within the country. Your thoughts uh, uh, Professor Moruti? Yes, thank you. It is, uh, as uh, Professor Guto stated, a very uh, unfortunate situation uh, and a heartbreak even for those of us who are partnering with um, South Sudanese government and civil society uh, organizations. Uh, We now have a deja vu situation. We have a repeat of almost the same tensions that existed before. Uh, and I think the, there was a sense that once uh, Riek Machar uh, came back uh, into Juba, then somehow things would automatically uh, move forward. And I think that is where perhaps we, as the international community, may have made a mistake, uh, because we should not assume that the enemy images will just of each other will just disappear uh, and uh, somehow miraculously leaders who have been fighting each other and have been framing the, each other as enemies are going mm. to somehow walk hand in hand. Mm. <clears throat> it's not unlike what we're experiencing in South Africa with some of the racial tension that's emerging. Uh, uh, the reconciliation just does not happen automatically. There's a lot of deep work that has to be done, dialogue, changing images of each other and so on. Um, and there should have been a concerted effort once uh, Mashar was in Juba to actually transform the narrative and and frame the new... South Sudanese, if you will, disposition as the way forward, and that, you know, we were going to try to work through all the issues 
that we have as as former enemies to reach a point where we can begin to actually live together. And I think that was not effectively uh, done. And um, uh, and and somehow we need to find a way to get back to that point. Uh, so we are talking about a need for high-level dialogue between these two leaders, um, assuming they will now be able to come back to the table and community-level uh, relationship reconciliation processes. I am a little bit worried about uh, external peacekeeping forces, which, given the examples of Eastern DRC, Somalia. Central African Republic, uh, and so on, they, they mm-hmm. tend never to leave once they're there. They created mm-hmm. a whole dynamic that's created uh, an industry, if you will, of peacekeeping um, uh, operations, and that makes it difficult for the citizens to actually take ownership and drive their own reconciliation processes. So while, yes, it's necessary because the enemy images are still strong and uh, in fact, uh, opposition forces are going to carry on shooting at each other. Uh, I think we need to really think of how an exit strategy can be implemented to really, which requires a lot of hard work on transforming uh, people's sense of being self-sudanese and their sense of togetherness, which is a lot of hard dialogue work uh, and work that we, even after 22 years in South Africa, we're still we're still doing. Mm. Well, I need to move on a little bit. And coming back to you, Advocate, uh, Advocate uh, Tlakula, uh, I know that you highlighted your thoughts there on uh, South Sudan. So I don't want to stay there for too long because I think there's other themes that I want us to touch on. I know that uh, there's a big conversation that has been taking place, especially now with uh, Dr. Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma with her uh, chairmanship in the Commission of Self-Sufficiency, especially when it comes to funding. I know that this also dominated the talks uh, this year. Your thoughts on, on that regard? Yes, I think uh, the agreement that was reached uh, is very important uh, for a percentage of uh, the levy on imports to be used to fund the, the, the AU, because all of us are suffering. We are, I mean, as you know, the commission that I had is one of the organs of the AU. Mm. And the, the contribution by member states uh, have been very slow. This year in particular has been a very difficult year because um, member states, uh, some of them have not uh, paid uh, their dues. And this leads to a situation where the AU relies quite heavily on um, money given to it by development partners. And this is an unhealthy situation. The AU has been in existence for more than half a decade. And by this time, we should be able to fund our operations. The money has to come from us as Africans so that uh, the development partners simply just... uh, uh, you know, add to that and fund specific projects. But at, at, at this point in time, you know, the reverse applies. So I am very happy with the fact that uh, the AU took a decision on self-reliance. But I must also point out that I was a little bit disappointed that not all the member states uh, supported this uh, uh, some of them uh, said that uh, they don't. Uh, uh, there's no levy on any imports, and if uh, this mm-hmm. uh, resolution is implemented, uh, it's not going to be possible for them to to implement. So, mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that uh, it's not just a resolution that will end on paper. 
that uh, it will be implemented. Mm. Professor Timuruti, your thoughts to what uh, Advocate Benzit Lakula is highlighting there on uh, this uh, annual budget of almost $500 million. It seems like one that needs a lot of uh, support. Yes, look, I think it's an innovation and a very good thing for the African Union to finally come up with a funding model that could potentially make it sustainable going forward, and it would be a permanent arrangement because countries will continue to import uh, going forward indefinitely. Um, as with everything that is new, as with change, uh, you know, there is a lot of resistance to uh, to, to innovation and um, to bringing in new ideas. And I think the, the naysayers that we hear among some of these countries uh, were not prepared to propose alternative solutions so I think this is this is an important step forward, um, and it's a very good move. Uh, and I think what you will see is, as it's implemented um, in two years, in five years, in ten years, in fifteen, we need to project forward to Agenda 2063. That's 47 years from now. Um, mm. I think by then you will see obviously countries will come in line and uh, and, and actually support and and ensure that this uh, that this happens. And the fact that it's the system is designed, is at least theoretically designed, to be fairly simple. Tax collected uh, on imports, uh, and then the customs uh, authority mm-hmm. sends uh, those funds, uh, the the zero point two percent tax to the central bank, which then directs it to the African Union. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very straightforward system that doesn't get mired in all sorts of internal mm-hmm. uh, economic um, ministries and treasury kind of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. In theory, it should work seamlessly, but um, as I said, there will always be those naysayers, but we need to move forward because Africa needs to, to actually place itself in a position to become competitive uh, in this globalized uh, era. Hmm. Staying with you, uh, Tim, is the issue of the big surprise that also we saw this time around. 32 years after quitting, Morocco had officially asked to rejoin the African Union. How significant was this development? Just in a minute or so, I have to wrap up the show very soon. So if you can just give me your, your, your thoughts on, on, this in, on this development. Extremely significant. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the tension there is this African Union has already recognized the Western Sahara, also known as Sahrawi mm. Arab Democratic Republic, mm. which is the reason why Morocco did not want to join. But Morocco tried to join other economic groupings, including the European Union, and that was a step too far for the EU. So, as I mentioned, in the globalized era, Morocco has actually seen that it's, it's doing itself a disservice not to be part of a, a larger economic uh, uh, block, which can then also increase its own uh, inward investment and trade and so on, and, and give a certain preferential advantages, which being members of the AU will begin to, it will become clear as we go forward that, you know, Pan-African regional integration is here to stay. We are trading at 11.7% into African trade that could increase substantially, and that means countries can also benefit mm-hmm. uh, from that increase in intra-African trade. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts there, Advocate Banzit Lakula, on that Morocco position? Well, it's going to be difficult, as uh, Professor Mruti has already said, because mm-hmm. the AU has accepted uh, Western Sahara. So it's going to depend on... And, of course, there are countries like Senegal that have aligned themselves to, to Morocco. So I'm not sure how that's going to play itself out. We'll, we'll just have to watch the space.
Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. I appreciate you staying with us uh, for the duration of the program. I know you both have a busy schedule, so we really appreciate it when you can actually make time for us, the media. That's uh, Advocate Penzi Tlakula, who's the chairperson and special rapporteur on freedom of expression and access to information in Africa at the African Commission on Human Rights and People's Rights. Thank you as well to Professor Tim Muruti, who's the head of the Justice and Reconciliation in Africa, which is part of the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation and also he is the extraordinary professor of African Studies at the University of the Free State in South Africa. Uh, Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Remember that also earlier on we had Professor Shadrick Guto. He's the editor at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies at UNISA. He also gave us some insights on some of the themes that came out from the 27th African Union Summit. It's 11.45 Central African time. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with our business news. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good morning, I'm Usani Matebula with your Economics News. Ethiopia says it has not signed a deal to help Kenya build a pipeline. It clarifies only a commitment to assess the pipeline's feasibility has been signed, not the agreement of its construction. The two countries signed agreements, including cooperation in the energy sector, in June when Ethiopian Prime Minister Haile Mariam Desalin made an official visit to Kenya with his delegation. Ethiopian Information Minister Gede Chureda. The Kenya-Ethiopia oil pipeline deal is part of uh, a much larger project, which is a project to develop the Lapset Corridor, which, which also includes, of course, the uh, construction of uh, or the development of the port of Lamu and a railway line from Lamu uh, to Addis, to South Sudan.
Tanzania secured a 7.6 billion US dollar loan from China's Export Import Bank to build a railway line that will link it uh, to its neighbors. The country wants to profit from its long coast, coastal line and uh, upgrade its uh, rickety railways and roads to serve growing economies in the landlocked heart of Africa. President John Magafuli has says uh, Exim agreed to provide the concessional loan to finance the construction of a major standard gauge railway line. European ministers have uh, told Kenya to consider other options to continue accessing Europe's free trade area. Sihle Zuma reports. Problems with that sound, a British low-cost airline EasyJet has reported an 8.3% drop in quarterly revenue per seat, broadly in line with an earlier warning over the impact of cancelled flights. EasyJet, Europe's number two low-cost carrier behind Ryanair, said its fourth quarter performance would be affected by two events last week. Concerns around security from those events will add to the consumer uncertainty already arising from Britain's vote to leave the EU in June. And South Africa's rent firmer against the U.S. dollar after data showing inflation quickened in June. Stocks were largely unchanged, with mining firms among the biggest losers on weak production results, while budget retailer ShopRite led the risers on strong sales. South Africa's headline inflation pulled further away from the central bank's target range of 3 to 6 percent, quickening to 6.3 percent year-on-year in June from 6.1 percent in May. Financial indicators, the dollar at 14.31, South African rands at 10.65, Botswana Pula and 7.92, Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.76 to the British pound and 0.90 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,314, platinum $1,073 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $47.35 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. Back in an hour's time with another update. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Good day, sports fans. I am Osiwu Dimakura with the latest sports news at the hour. And starting off with athletics news, Friday and Saturday's IAAF Diamond League meeting at the Olympic Park Stadium in London will, among others, feature the crowd favourite Usain Bolt of Jamaica, who will be down for the men's 200-metre race. The two-day competition is a dress rehearsal for some of the athletes heading to the Rio Olympic Games, kicking off in Brazil within a few weeks' time. Our London-based correspondent, Geshe reports. Usain Bolt, the six-time Olympic gold medalist and fastest man on the planet in the 100 and 200 meters, is set to justify his selection for the Rio Olympic Games following his withdrawal at the Jamaican National Olympic Trials with a hamstring injury. The sprinting superstar picked the injury in the qualifying rounds. However, the Jamaican selectors slotted him into the country's Olympic team despite fears he may not be fit for the Olympic Games. Because of his popularity in London, the lightning bolt, as he's called at times, is the face of the competition. On paper, Usain Bolt is tipped to win the 200-meter race, more so in that the seven other sprinters may not be up to scratch for the challenge. Meanwhile, Botswana's 2012 Olympic silver medalist Nigel Amos competes in the 800-meter race. Kenya's Ferguson Rotich is one of the leading favorites to win the race. And South Africa has Steven Mkoka in the 10,000 meters, Wendy Taron Ned in the women's 400 meter hurdles, and Karina Won in the women's 100 meters. Back home, expedition leader and experienced climber Sibusiso Vilani broke down in tears on Wednesday night, repeatedly apologizing to the country for the death of car racing champion Gugu Zulu while climbing Mount Kilimanjaro on Sunday. Vilani arrived from Tanzania with the rest of the 40 climbers on Wednesday night. Addressing a press briefing at Johannesburg's Oaratambo International Airport, Vilani could not hide his emotions. I'm very disappointed today. To say that I did not deliver to, to that promise to all the families and friends that I had promised to deliver. Zulu complained of flu-like symptoms while ascending the mountain with his wife, Litsejo, and several other South Africans. They had hoped to reach the summit on Monday, or rather Mandela Day, on the 18th of July. The Nelson Mandela Foundation CEO, Silo Hateng, says Zulu's body is expected to arrive back in the country with his wife and family members on Friday. like to plead with South Africa that all of us stand up and say in his name we will just continue to do what he wanted done which was to change people's lives. Regarding the return of uh, Gugu's body we are hoping that the body will be here by Friday. Should anything change in terms of uh, the date if it happens tomorrow you will be notified by the Nelson Mandela Foundation. On to rugby news, Sharks hooker Monde Hadebe has been banned for four years as a result of a positive doping test following random drug testing during Super Rugby earlier this year. Another South African rugby player who still has not been named has also tested positive and is awaiting the outcome of a testing of his B sample. Khalid Halant, the chief executive of the South African Institute for Drug-Free Sport, confirmed these results and added that another 16 players at all levels of the sport had tested positive for various banned 
banned substances since March 2015. Hadebe, who has not been, or rather has not played for the Sharks in Super Rugby this season, tested positive for two banned steroids. And finally, in football news, Pizomo Simani, the head coach of the South African reigning APSA Premiership champions, Mamelodi Sundowns, has dismissed talk of North African teams being dominant over South Africa as a myth and says Bafana Bafana and Mamelodi Sundowns have now proven it. Musimani was speaking after the team's return from their successful trip to Cairo, Egypt, where they defeated Egyptian giant Zamlek in their CAF Champions League Group B encounter. The result leaves Sundowns in a commanding position in the group stages as they sit on six points just after two matches following the disqualification of Algerian side ES Satif, whom they beat 2-0 away from home. So you've got to be very, very careful of thinking that you have arrived and missing the point of finishing top and missing the point of playing away first and playing home last. So you've got to be very, very careful about that issue. That's, that's, that's important. We'd like to finish on top, you know, because... Um, as much as I feel like that we are, I think we've got a specimen for, for North African teams, I think the way we play it becomes difficult for them. Maybe the, the, the West Africans can give us a little bit of a challenge with our way of playing our specimen, but the North Africans, they're struggling with, our, with the way we play. The Zion Sports News at the Sound stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you so much for being a part of our conversation on Twitter. Thank you as well uh, for those who, who were actually contributing via our email address. And that's how we wrap it up. That's uh, that's African Dialogue. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember to interact with our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. Or you can Facebook us on Channel Africa. That's our page, simply titled Channel Africa. You can also SMS us your views on plus two seven seven nine. Six nine five seven nine three zero. We also have an email address that's info at channelafrica.org. From me, Benjamin Mushatam, until next week, Monday. God bless.